What did Warren Buffett tell us happened in personal finance in 2018? It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. So it's not Christmas morning, but it's almost like Christmas morning. Every single year, we get so exciting, excited when the Oracle of Omaha decides to lay his wisdom upon us. I'm always excited. We, have, we do a live show every other Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And when we have people in the chat room actually asking us when we're going to cover this, you know we've been doing you know, this we're, for we're a while. It's kind, of, it's kind of become our, our, our thing. And, and the way, here's the way we want to set this up. Because y'all should know, I love reading these letters to shareholders. Yep. So I've essentially created the Cliff Notes version of the letter to shareholders with all these pages. But we're not going to cover <laughs> everything I've done the Cliff Notes on. So what we've decided to do is, is Bo has done a good job. He came in and we, we had a whole brainstorming mm-hmm. session on this. And he goes, let me have a, a whack at this thing to see if I can create some lessons yep. that Warren created looking at these letter to shareholders. And then let's see if we can distill this down a little bit more. So the way we're going to set this up is Bo's going to give us the lessons and then how you can tie this back to your own personal finances. And then I'm going to kind of be the narrator of the things that really grabbed me from the, the what Warren wrote this year. Yeah, I think that's perfect. And I just thought it was so great because you can easily go read the letter to shareholders and you can just glean amazing wisdom from Warren, learn a lot about Berkshire and how it works and why they've been so prosperous. But we want to just take that a little beyond common sense. How do we take the words that Warren gives us and apply them to our personal lives, apply them to our financial planning and make sure that we're making wise decisions? So we've distilled it. I can't remember. It's five, six, seven lessons. It's something like that uh, that we think he outlined nicely for us. Uh, so you want to talk a little bit. So he started the letter talking about mark to market. You want to talk so a little bit about what he was. What give he was us lesson one. Be the be the narration voice, and then I'll jump into the nerd. So stuff. lesson one: Don't let short term swings affect your decision making. Warren does this. If anybody who's read the letter to shareholders for any period of time, you're going to notice that Warren recycles concepts. I, I'm going to go ahead and say I think Warren actually has like. 15 really <laughs> rock-solid concepts, but then he does this beautiful thing of repackaging sure. them. And you're going to find out that he's also, Bo, you benchmark some things you say from uh-huh. listening to me do client meetings when you first came out of college. That's right. I benchmark some things that were said to me from my first boss right out of college. I have learned Warren has done the exact right. same thing. And the first thing he does, he does pick on market to mark-to-market change sure. on... Um, he picks on that because in the past, he doesn't like the wild swings, but they are going to have to start doing that from an accounting standpoint on some of the holdings. For just a real quick understanding, since you are the CPA, the accountant, what's the really like brief explanation of what mark-to-market is? Well, it basically means that instead of you buying and you – because Warren and Charlie talk about intrinsic value, mm-hmm. meaning that they buy good companies, quality companies – And they don't worry about the fluctuations of what's going on with it. Mark to market means that almost every day you can value the holdings. And that's just an irrational way to to do things. And and what he talks about, and this is what I mean when he talks about Warren Benchmarker uses things. If you remember, it was probably two or three years ago, he talked about he owned a farm. And if he had a neighbor next door who every day that neighbor yelled out a purchase price, 
Some days it was really high. Some days it was really low. You know, that is what mark to market is. Yep. It's just the irrational. Well, you know where you know where Warren gets this from is Ben Graham, who is like the mentor of yep. Warren Buffett. He studied under um, Warren studied under Ben Graham. Um, he has in, in his book, The Intelligent Investor from 1949, he talks about in his book, Mr. Market, the manic depressive, <laughs> who's your business partner, who every day tells you what your share of the business is worth right. and how it just drives you crazy, all these irrational prices. And it's the same thing with mark to market, is that it, it, it can blow your mind or drive you crazy when somebody is constantly throwing out values, if you don't really know what you think the true value of an investment is. And so what Warren shared is because of generally accepted accounting principles, uh, some of the profitability, some of the earnings numbers for Berkshire, Berkshire wildly fluctuate mm -hmm. uh, month to month, quarter to quarter, year to year. And he said, I don't let that affect, and Charlie doesn't let that affect the way that we make investment decisions. We value our businesses on their actual intrinsic value. And so we started thinking about Okay, well, how can we apply that to our financial lives? And it's just like I said, don't let short-term swings affect your decision-making. Imagine how ridiculous it would be if you knew that you needed a million dollars to be able to retire. And on the day your portfolio hits a million dollars, you say, I'm going to retire. And then the next day, the market's down, you know, half a percent, and you're like, I got to get a job. And then the market <laughs> goes back up, and oh, I can retire again. You would never approach it that way. Right. So why on earth do we let our investment decisions, what should I buy, what should I sell, what should I own, fluctuate so wildly? So we want to make sure in everything that we do, we have a long-term perspective and don't let daily fluctuations affect us. Or that, that market emotion cycle right. where you have the irrational exuberance when things are good, and then the the freaking out and I'll never do this again, you know, that you have when things are down. Right. So don't, don't fall to that. So then he goes on uh, and he shares uh, some really interesting, and this is like in the weed stuff on Berkshire. Uh, and I was thinking about, okay, what he's really telling us when he talks about the businesses that he buys and how he selects them and how they operate, he's really telling us about Berkshire's core investment philosophy. So one of the questions we have to ask ourselves are, do we have a core investment philosophy, number one, and do we have a sound financial plan in place that surrounds that investment philosophy? So this is lesson two. Lesson number and two. And this is titled, if, you, if you're following along, if you've, if you've nerded out and you've printed your own letter to shareholders for 2018, this is the section that Warren titles, Focus on the Forest, Forget the Trees. You can already sense how this is going. And this is where he talks about his five different tree groves of, of Berkshire Hathaway and how they're structured. And then I, I, ch I pulled this nugget because this is talking about your core investment philosophy. Yep. Here's a nugget that I pulled. Primary goal of Berkshire Hathaways. It says to buy, to buy ably managed businesses in whole or part that possess favorable and durable economic characteristics. We also need to make these purchases at sensible prices. Buy good stuff. Don't pay too much. That's what he said. And then I thought this was just being an American. I could almost hear the USA chant. USA. <laughs> Because Warren shares Berkshire invested a record $14.5 billion last year into plant, equipment, and other fixed assets with 89% of that spent in America. Good old US of A. And then his equity investments as of the end of the year were worth $173 billion last year. I thought that was pretty powerful yep. stuff. He praised retained earnings. Um, that's going to be a common trend you're going to see throughout this discussion, including what we talk about at the, to close the show out. But here's an example. I thought this was pretty cool on retained earn, earnings and also a good example of repurchases. Mm -hmm. um, 
Warren and them bought American Express a number of years back. Right. Their initial investment was $1.3 billion. Pay attention to that. That number's going to come into play. Um, They bought 12.6% of the company of American Express. Okay. Over the last eight years, that 12.6% has increased to 17.9%. So his ownership interest in American Express has gone up about 5% over the last Without them investing a dollar. They they bought no money. They put no, they didn't buy any additional shares. What happened is when you hear companies say they're repurchasing more shares, this is the benefit that comes from that mm-hmm. is that you're instead of diluting the shares, they're actually making the shares more powerful right. for you. So he went from owning 12.6 to 17.9 over that period of time. That's pretty powerful stuff. And then listen to these earnings. So last year, Berkshire Hathaway's portion, Amex earned $6.9 billion. Okay. Berkshire's portion was $1.2 billion. Of the six point nine, that's what they get. That's what number got sounds that, kind of familiar. Remember, that's ninety six percent of the initial one point three billion. This is how powerful investing at good value, yep. good companies, and then understanding how retained earnings can actually have a compounding that's effect right. for you is really powerful stuff. He closes out this lesson. I thought this was powerful when you talk about core investment philosophies. Is that they have 112 billion of U.S. Treasury bills and cash equivalents, with another 20 billion in miscellaneous miscellaneous fixed income instruments. Right. Here's why I think this is important, and I'm going to read the quote, but then bring this back to personal finance for mm-hmm. our listeners. Is and this is his quote: Berkshire will forever remain a financial fortress. Will never risk getting caught short of cash. What is one of the first things we tell you to do in the financial order of operations? is you got to have cash reserves. Because, guys, cash reserves can not only save you from those horrible things that could happen, like a car accident, water heater breaks, you need a new roof on the house. Medical bills. It also can be your capital. Here's what anybody, if you've been following Berkshire Hathaway, you wonder what the secret sauce is for Warren Buffett. If you go back to, like, 2008, remember, when we're talking about, like, how did they get Amex so Mm -hmm. cheap? How did they get all these companies... Warren swooped in on a lot of these companies when it was kind of scary were they yep. even going to be around That's right. because of the financial collapse of things. They had cash. Cash created power and the ability to go buy things at an incredible value, an incredible opportunity. Exactly right. So cash not only gets you out of trouble and gives you sleeping money, meaning you can sleep well at night because you have cash in the bank, but number two, it could be dry powder money yep. to help you go invest in things when you get that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity with the investments. So core investment philosophy is very powerful. Yeah, and I think what's so beautiful about this is Warren was walking through how he goes about approaching these decisions and how he thinks about the companies uh, that he's going to buy. And he says he has one stated goal. His one goal for running Berkshire Hathaway is he wants to increase the value of Berkshire Hathaway shareholders. And so everything that he does moves along that one common thread, one common theme. So as he's talking about these Amex investments and how they've utilized retained earnings, I started thinking, okay, well, what's the personal finance tieback? Are the decisions you're making day-to-day or year-to-year moving you closer to your ultimate goals? Obviously, the purchase of Amex by Warren Buffett was a very strategic purchase that moved him closer to increasing the share value for his partners in his business. Are the things that you're doing from a financial perspective doing that same thing, or are you allowing yourself to get in your own way? Are you buying too much house, too much car, running up debt, not saving 15 to 25%, not paying attention to your taxes, paying too much in fees? Yep. All of these small things can have a huge impact. 
you have to make sure that you are majoring in the minors to make sure those little decisions get you ultimately to where you want to be. Well done. I hope you can keep you keep that going. This is gonna be one heck of a show. Trying, Woo! Working on it. Working on it. I feel like you gotta blow <laughs> blow off the gun there. Lesson three. Uh, lesson number three. I thought this was beautiful, uh, and this is what I kind of got from this. And you'll talk about what Warren said, but the lesson is character matters, and our decisions, the decisions that we make, impact others. This was under the section that Warren titled "Repurchases and Reporting." Mm-hmm. Um, there's other parts I'd highlight on here. That I, don't, I think the re- really valuable thing here is talking about corporate behavior yep. and bad, spe- specifically bad corporate behavior. And this is what Warren said. He said, um, things can start as, quote, an innocent fudge in order to not disappoint the street. Yep. You can do a, a trade loading at quarter end. You can do turning a blind eye to rising insurance losses. You can draw down a cookie jar reserve. If it's okay for the boss to cheat a little, it's easy for subordinates to rationalize similar behavior. Yeah, that's exactly right. He, he talks about some of these bad corporate governance techniques that happens. And the way he started this whole section was he was talking about how stock repurchases affect his partners because it affects two people. It affects his partners who are soon to be former partners, the ones that are selling the stock, and it affects his current partners they are going to stay partners who are going to continue to hold the stock. So he's thinking about every decision that I make, whether I'm going to buy back shares or whether I'm going to sell shares, is going to have a very real impact, just like how the CEO and the corporate governance they have impacts how the shareholders are going to be in, are going to be affected. And so the thing that we thought about in terms of a personal finance tieback are, are you making decisions that you can be proud of? Are you that CEO that's not fudging the numbers, that's not making the innocent mistake? Are you making sure that you have your wills? in place. If you have young kids or someone that's spending on you, do you have life insurance? Do you have emergency reserves? We've already talked about. Are you saving appropriately? Are you prioritizing your order of operations the right way? If you're the CEO of your household, or if you're the one managing the ship, you got to make sure you're operating in a way that impacts and affects others in a positive manner, those that depend upon you. Lesson four. Lesson number four. Uh, take advantage when the rule changes to your favor. This is under the section that Warren titled, Non-Insurance Operations. I like this. this Warren's a funny guy. From lollipops to locomotives. <laughs> so here's the thing. I thought this was pretty cool. Pre-tax income for Berkshire Hathaway was up 24% in 2018 to $20.8 billion. So just... In terms of top-line revenue alone, Berkshire got a 24% pay raise last year. But that's not even the most... I mean, listen to this number. After-tax numbers increased by 47%, and this is his quote, thanks in large part to the cut in the corporate tax rate that became effective at the beginning of the year. So we've been talking all the time about how this, there's this big thing that happened with corporate tax reform, and there are going to be some corporations and businesses that are going to be very excited about it. Warren just said that that's that's not malarkey. That actually happened. Well, it went Berkshire. from thirty-five. The corporate tax rate in America for public companies was thirty-five percent. Went down to twenty-one percent. Mm-hmm. You can quickly see how that twenty-four percent earnings growth can turn into forty-seven percent because of the tax savings. That's right. Now Warren is quick to tell you that whenever any of us go into go into business, mm-hmm. we have a silent investor that in the past was getting 35%, that's right. and that's the government. 
by the fact that now the 21%, that 35 has gone down to, thir- to 21%, 21. Warren talks about how that is definitely going to fuel more investment, yep. more opportunities. And I think that's a good thing. You know, it's the whole thing. As we close out this, you'll see Warren has some closing thoughts that will show you it's good for all of us to be able to grow in our companies, our, our you know, our employees, and figure out how we can make this thing even better in the future. That, that's exactly right. Warren recognized he had a 35% business partner in the federal government on future earnings of Berkshire. That that partner's cut was moved down to 21%. So he, in in that one fell swoop, increased the value of all of his other partners. They, they cut it down from 21%. So what's the tie back to personal finance? Warren didn't do a lot other than recognizing how the tax laws change and how that's going to impact his company. Well, 2018 wasn't just a big tax year for corporations and businesses. It was a big tax year for individuals too. There were a lot of very big changes. So have you done the work of making sure you understand what changed and how you can benefit from that? If you don't know, we've done a couple different podcasts, a couple different shows walking through who the big winners are, who the big losers are for 2018, and how the 2018 tax laws can affect you. So that's something you should check out. If you're one of these people, after you do your taxes for 2018, and you find that you're getting a big refund, just like Warren talked about the opportunity if he was able to make use of that money and put it to work, I want to challenge you to do the same thing. If you haven't fully funded your Roth IRA, if you haven't fully funded, you know, do it maxing out your 401k savings plan at work or building up the cash reserves or even paying down debt after you've gone through the order of operations, make sure something good comes from you getting that extra cash flow that's going to flow into you. Yep. Uh, lesson number five, the next one I felt like Warren went on to was uh, he is telling us you really need to know and understand your risk tolerance and your risk capacity. This is under the section insurance, quote, float. We know how Warren loves him, um, some float from an insurance company. And then the funding of Berkshire. Um, I thought this was interesting. Warren's take on debt and leverage. And I wish I'd read this before we did the last show on lump sum investing versus dollar cost averaging, because he talks about how when you talk about debt and leverage, because there are a lot of you know managers and others out there that will use debt, mm-hmm. which debt, if invested, can actually lever up your it rate of return. Amplify it, exponential, it definitely amplifies it, makes it exponential. But Warren talks about that as credit vanishes and debt becomes financially fatal, mm-hmm. and this is his quote. This is the part that I thought was so valuable. He said, it's a Russian roulette equation. Usually win, occasionally die. May make financial sense for someone who gets a piece of the company's upside but does not share in its downside. But this strategy would be madness for Berkshire. Rational people, this is the, I put, I boldface this. Rational people don't risk what they have and need for what they don't have and don't need. That's worth repeating. Rational people don't risk what they have and need for what they don't have and don't need. That's the dude's a poet. It's it's unbelievable how simple that is, and how often we in our own lives kind of screw that up. Oh, the Russian roulette equation works out most of the time, but occasionally you die. <laughs> that is, I mean, that is a it gives you a, a perfect narrative to understanding. Here's Warren's take on equity. Our level of equity capital is a different story. Berkshire's three hundred and forty nine billion is unmatched in corporate America. But you know when you hear when I hear a number like three hundred and forty nine billion, do you know what Warren started with? Nineteen sixty five, it was twenty two million dollars. That was his initial investment in Berkshire Hathaway. 
So unbelievable. Now we're at 349 billion. He's talking about how that's compounding interest. It's magical. It just it happened. Equity, especially keeping the retained earnings, can have tremendous value. Now, how do we relate this to personal finance? Because there's definitely a correlation there. Yeah, one of the things I thought that was beautiful is uh, question number one: Are you using debt wisely? Do you operate under the same assumption that when you utilize debt, you're playing Russian roulette? Is it something where you want to win most of the time, but occasionally you're dead? Or is it something you ought to handle with a little more care? And then secondly, are you taking advantage of advanced strategies that might make sense for your situation? He talks about how there are deferred income taxes built into the unrealized gains in his equity holdings, and how because of that, he's been able to grow tax-free until he realizes that a lot of the equity capital inside of Berkshire Hathaway. Well, that's no different than you recognizing maybe you're someone who has a 401k plan that has really cool things like uh, self-directed brokerage options or after-tax contributions or in-service withdrawals. If you're someone who lives in that world where there are some advanced benefits, you might want to think about taking advantage of those because those are how you go from just a really good financial situation to a great, highly optimized, highly efficient financial situation. I was thinking about the fact that he was talking about how also the tax efficiency because he uses it as an interest-free loan. Yep. Because if you have a lot of trading and turnover, you have to, the government makes you pay taxes on any gains and other things like that. Think about with mutual fund companies with active management that are constantly issuing out those capital gains. If you buy an index fund that's so much more tax efficient, it just allows you to let your money keep working and keep right. growing instead of being distributed out and paying taxes on it. That's exactly right. Do it like Warren would do it. All right, lesson number six. And this, you know, this isn't really on my bucket list, but Warren has a handful of human beings that when they read this letter, oh, they got to just blush. You know that's why I did this. You know how badly I want Warren to dote on me the way that he dotes on the handful of guys he talks what about. What about Brian? This could be my letter to you. Oh, you know oh what? I'm retiring. Well, from, uh, you'd write this letter to me. Yeah, that, that's probably what it would be. Uh, lesson number six, surround yourself with good people. And this is under the section of Geico and Tony Nicely. What, what an awesome, appropriate name. And um, here's what I thought was interesting is that Tony joined Geico in 1961 at the age of 18. That's crazy. Now, so listen to this career journey because this is, this is exceptional and unusual at the same time. So, and then, so Warren and them didn't even start buying Geico. We all know that Berkshire Hathaway owns Geico Insurance. It all started in 1976. Warren liked the current CEO at that time. He right. thought that the company was set up in a good position. So they bought a third of the company and the number that they bought was $47 million. Is that right? Yep, that's right. So they for $47 million, they bought a third of Geico. Over the years, through company repurchases of stock. Theme you're going to keep here. They didn't, they didn't buy any more at that point, but the, their third turned into a half That's because awesome. Geico kept rebuying itself with stock buybacks. Fast forward 17 years to 1993, and that's when Tony, who once again started at 18, and now has become promoted to CEO. Fast forward another two years, 1995. Tony has kind of taken the helm. He's re-energized the Geico. Berkshire made an offer to buy the other 50% of the company for $2.3 billion. So first half cost them $47 million. The second half cost him $2.3 billion. 50 times more than what he paid the first half. And, he, and he, I like how he put in quote, and people say I never pay up. 
It's almost like he gets called for being a tightwad. Wait a minute. Wait, you'll hear the rest of the story here in a minute. But here's what I think is pretty cool. If you fast forward to now, because the rest of the story is, is Tony just retired. Mm-hmm. So Warren is kind of giving him this is, I would consider this a thank you note to Tony. Yep. But listen to the results of what Tony Nicely did with Geico. Geico is now America's number two auto insurer with sales 1,200% greater than it recorded in 1995. Underwriting profits have totaled $15.5 billion since our purchase, and float available for investment has grown to $2.5 billion when he started in 1995 to up to $22.1 billion. Tenfold change. That, that's, in, that's incredible. Um, I mean, it, it really is a thank you note to Tony for doing an awesome work. And I, I, I couldn't help but notice when I was reading just with how much the float has increased, because $22 billion, just the float on that at 2% or 2.5%, that, that's like $500 million just flowing in. That's almost a quarter of the $2.3 billion that they bought in 1990, you know, 1995. It's just, it's really incredible. He, I think Warren even said this. He said, by his estimate, Tony's management has increased Berkshire's intrinsic value by more than 50 billion dollars so what's the how do you how do you take this what do you what do you look at this since it's a thank you note to tony how would you apply this to somebody else's personal finances yeah i think what warren recognized is that having tony on his team having tony in his corner increase the value of he and his partners by 50 billion dollars have you looked around at the professionals the people that you have on your team in your corner do you have good people that are helping you become the best version of yourself whether that be a really good attorney to help you work through your estate documents or a financial advisor to help serve as your cfo or a really good accountant to make sure you're optimizing your tax situation or an insurance agent to make sure you're not overpaying do you have someone or do you have a team of individuals that's helping you navigate those big decisions to add $50 billion, maybe a little aggressive, to your personal financial situation. I'll add a little more is that we know a lot of you guys, we talk about this abundance cycle all the time, is that you come to watch the Money Guy show and we just give it to you. We just lay it on. We just load you up with as much. I feel like Warren does that in a lot of ways. But you guys are so successful. You have that retained earnings that's compounding interest and growing into something that a lot of you, you will graduate to a point that you start getting nervous about the decisions you're making. Or, I love it, I saw it in a Reddit post recently that somebody recommended our show and they said, I hope to work with those guys when I get to a certain level. We know you're out there and we hear that you're out there. So when you do get to that point through the abundance cycle that we just love love on you with free information, when you do want to pay us back, give us a, a second opinion. Let us be the one that looks over your shoulder and says, yeah, you're doing it right, or this is what you need to do to reach all the financial goals that you have. But then let's talk about how Warren closed this boat. Because this was, if we had a love letter and a thank you note to Tony Nicely, I couldn't help, especially with this crazy world we're in now where, guys, we don't talk about politics, we don't talk about religion, because it seems like 50% of the country feels this way. 50% feels this way. We're all scared to turn on the nightly news anymore because it's just going to be a mess. Wasn't it nice to read the American Tailwind? That's right. And I didn't even put a life lesson on this one because I thought Warren did a great enough job just telling the story himself. Here, here's what Warren did. And you guys, don't take our word for it. Go check this out. We'll put a link yep. um, on, on the moneyguy.com so you can go check out the letter to shareholders. But if you go look at page 13 and 14, that's where the American Tailwind is. And I'm going to summarize this. You can go read the full thing later. But here's what it talks about. 
Warren made his first official investment when he was six years of age, and it was $114. By the way, Warren had a lot more money than I did at six. That's the fact. I think that is a theme that we're going to notice carried on until he became a billionaire. I don't know that I was investing at six. I don't know that was top top of the priority for Bo Hanson. So that was 77 years ago. Here's something, and we were talking about, Warren drew attention to this, and then we were just talking about that. It's kind of crazy that he said two 77-year periods before that initial investment was the year before George Washington became president. So America essentially has spanned three of Warren Buffett's investment lives. Not yep. even his life expectancy, because by the way, he was six, yep. and he's only been investing for 77 years, sure. so he's older than that, but it's, it's three of his, of his investment lifespans, yep. which is pretty incredible stuff. And then America's face, I mean, think about all the, the, the bickering and everything we're facing. We think this is the world's worst time, but we've had civil wars, we've had world, world wars. wars. We've had great depressions. Yep. There's always some reason why you should be scared to be an investor, why you should be scared about the future. But it's somehow here in America, we have always felt like every generation is going to just do a little bit That's better. Right. We always want the better for the next generation coming behind us. So Warren makes the point. He says, well, if I was scared, if I, if I let the Civil War, if I let the Great Depression, if I let the World Wars one and two sideline me maybe i would have gone the the scared route and bought gold yeah because that's and, the safe investment and, and his in 77 years ago instead of buying investments in equities mm-hmm. he could have taken his 114 dollars and 75 cents and bought three and a quarter ounces of gold okay now he fast forwards and he says you know what that gold would be worth today that gold, that $114.75 would be worth $4,200. Okay. That sounds good. I mean, it's definitely increased in value. It's gone up. If you'd have just bought the S&P 500, Warren makes this point. By the way, y'all hear us talk about we love the S&P 500. Warren obviously likes the S&P 500 too because his $114 would now be worth $606,811 just in the S&P 500. Unbelievable. And this is his quote. The magic metal was no match for the American metal. God, he's such a wordsmith. Truly incredible stuff. So it doesn't matter. And then he gives a little bit of nod to bipartisanship. He said under there's seven Republican presidents, seven Democratic presidents through this entire process. He, you know, really gives a nod to both. Yep. And then I'm just going to read this last section. I've really had to bite my tongue not to read just a lot of this letter. So humor me and bear with me as I read this last paragraph that he wrote. Those skeptical of America's economic playbook should heed this message. In 1788, to go back to our starting point, there really wasn't much here except for a small band of ambitious people and an embryonic governing framework aimed at turning their dreams into reality. Today, the Federal Reserve estimates our household wealth at $108 trillion, an amount almost impossible to comprehend. That's a lot of zeros. Remember earlier in this letter how I described retained earnings as having been the key to Berkshire's prosperity. So it has been with America. In the nation's accounting, the comparable item is labeled, quote, savings. And save we have. If our forefathers had instead consumed all they produced, they would have been no investment. There would have been no investment, no productivity gains, and no leap in living standards. Man, as a small business owner, this makes me want to go run through a brick wall. (laughs) 
I mean, I'm serious no, because I, that is exactly uh, – you have heard me tell so many stories, Bo, of I remember telling my managing partner when I was going to go out on my own that if I could just make this sum of money, mm-hmm. I would be happy forever. That's right. And then here is the company. We make that in – Two weeks? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, and, and, and I get so excited. And this is why I want you to know when you look at your employer, or maybe you're an employer yourself, I get so excited when I see my employees having children, yep. getting married, buying houses, buying cars, saving and building financial independence. When, you know, I know we funded our retirement savings, we do 8% for our yep. employees here. It blows my mind when I see the growth of what's right. going on. And I think Warren has the same pride. When he looks at America and he looks at Berkshire Hathaway, I mean, you titled this right, Bo. What Warren reminded us about personal finance in 2018, and I'll just say it, no matter what the nightly news tells you, there's a lot to be excited about right. for the future. And Warren says him and Charlie have no idea what next year, um, next you know, next week is going to look like in the market, but he's pretty confident that long term, we got a lot of opportunity That's ahead right. of us. that's just a great way to kind of think about it and close it. So go check us out, moneyguy.com. I'm your host, Brian Preston, Mr. Bo Hanson. We come to you every week. And then, of course, we do the Ask the Money Guy series. If you have not subscribed, you can see we're we're just over 20,000 at the date of this recording. I bet when you come back next week or two weeks after that, we're going to just keep this thing growing. And we appreciate you guys immensely for making that something that is turned a hobby into truthfully something that I think is impacting a lot of people's financial lives. Thanks so much. And we'll talk to you soon. The money guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound wealth management. Abound wealth management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the security and exchange commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice.